Welcome back to Redline, a millennial tale of passionate love in the combative workplace set in Boston. Hop on board for the next episode of Pia's Tale here on Redline. The next Redline train to jailwide is now arriving. The first week of classes, Rod and I texted endlessly. We started while we were still under the covers in the morning and affectionately signed off late at night, under the covers again, this time feeling warm and sexy. I learned a lot about Rod that week. He was a driveway and landscape paver. He came from a working class family and had attended UMass Dartmouth, graduating in business. We both loved 60s and 70s rock music. Our parents' music. We had grown up on it. The Beatles, Bob Dylan, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Van Morrison. We texted about music and sent each other our favorite lines from songs. It amazed me that our blossoming love was happening in silence, inside the head, with typed words. He was proud of his success. I could barely get through college, he wrote. I already saw how everything worked and I couldn't wait to get started. Luckily, my dad kept me in, bribed me. He's a good guy, has a marine supply business, which I put online for him back in 06. It was going down the tubes with the internet taking over. What about siblings, I asked. I have an older brother, Dan, who lives in Washington. He's a lawyer, married to another lawyer. My parents are artists, or my mom is. My dad teaches art history at U, Maryland. Uh, we're not as educated. My sibs fled to Oregon as soon as they graduated high school. They're twins, Peter and Ellen. They work in a winery. Um, our mother was horribly violent, which my dad didn't know. He worked long hours. She was hospitalized when I was 12, and it helped, but only for a while. Once my parents divorced, I moved in with my dad, and I haven't seen my mother since the 10th grade. Yikes. That's really sad, I said. Yeah, but it explains why Peter and Ellen took off after high school. I try to forget that part of my past, and like I said, my dad's decent, so we had one good parent. I had had two good parents and a huge extended family. I could tell Rod didn't want to dwell on his childhood, so I stuck to the present time, and I liked hearing about his business because it showed his drive and intelligence. I was paving driveways and parking lots my first two college summers, he texted me. I wanted to get rich and feel free. My family never had money. I saw how the paving company I worked for would never advance because it just did the same old thing, job after job. I wanted to get into the luxury home market. That's where the big bucks were. And my dad gave me startup money. That was the deal if I finished college. I had visited his website several times. He had designed it himself, and it had visual appeal for people wanting luxurious lifestyles. Picture after picture showed tempting patios, pools, curving driveways, stone walls, and endless pavement ideas. It was an instant success, Rod said. Now I've got foremen and crew handling jobs all over New England, except Vermont, which already has someone like me. How did you end up in Wessex? Easy, he said. I got married to my college girlfriend, Andrea, whose first job was along 128, a mile from Wessex. She's a software engineer, but besides the convenience for her, it turned out a good location for me, besides being really beautiful. I love Wessex. What happened to Andrea, I asked. I had assumed he was single. Yeah, Andrea and I lasted seven years, which is pretty amazing given that we were done after two or three. But I was too busy building my business to deal with lawyers. I should have, because when we split, I had a lot of money and had to fork over 200 grand, plus the Porsche I'd given her for her 25th birthday. But the Porsche was hers. Yeah, but it annoyed me. You have to understand that Andrea had a six-figure salary and was engaged to the company's CEO. Anyway, it doesn't matter. 
we parted on friendly terms. Rod's money and his interest in money were worlds away from me. My ambition to sell paintings was more about supporting my creativity than making a fortune. Rod's casual talking about big sums of money didn't really make an impression on me the way hearing about Andrea and his early childhood did. I cared more about those personal things than money, but I did react when he texted me about his house. When the economy tanked in 2008, I looked for a foreclosure and got lucky. It's a big place with a four-car garage. You mean a McMansion? I just call it home. How many square feet? Something like 6,000. Jeez, you're one person. Could be for two. And don't forget, I operate Tucker Paving from my couch and save on renting an office. I store a lot of equipment in the garage and still have a place for my motorcycle hobby. I like to tinker. I think of the house as an investment, but one I've come to like. I'm on the road all day, and it feels good to come home to comfort. Home is home, I said, still trying to digest the size and style of the house. Where I come from, it's a mark of status, of making it if you have a four-car garage. I didn't know what to write back. It was a new concept for me. My parents, even my wealthier relatives, had never aspired to a four-car garage. My work's physically taxing, he went on. I make rounds all week, checking in with my crews or meeting new clients. Sometimes I even work a job to be sure it gets done right. I love your drive. Thanks. That means a lot to me. And I love that you're an artist. Designing is my real passion. I take pictures and listen closely to what my clients want. Then I design. It's funny, though. The husbands and wives often talk over each other, telling me different visions. I show them my past projects on my iPad till they agree to a joint vision. Then I go home and design a few ideas. That's what absorbs me most. Maybe eventually you can be just a designer. Maybe. I plan to retire at 45, as long as things go the way they are now. But what'll you do if you retire so young? Have fun. What else? What's fun? I wanted to know. The beach, motorcycle trips, rock climbing. Vacations with you, sweetie. <laughs> just kidding. I don't know. I'll probably start another business. I won't be able to stop myself. All I've ever wanted to do is paint. And that's what I like about you, Pia. You know what you want. Our text gave me a lot of food for thought. Our focus in life was different. His was on money and adventure, and mine was on culture and creativity. I wondered if Rod's emphasis on money clashed with my belief in a fair society. Vaguely, another thing nagged at me. Would Rod's money become an attraction for me? All in all, I learned a lot about him, and he learned a few things about me, like how I wanted to be a portrait painter in the tradition of John Singer Sargent, but of my own times and my own interpretation of people and backgrounds. I want to be Pia Lamonti, I said. What are you doing to market yourself? Well, I'm just getting settled here, and this is going to be my first serious market. I have to show my work in galleries, get known. It's all word of mouth. I can help you. I'll help you if I can. I'm good at marketing. His offer reminded me of how my artist friends and I often joked about needing a sugar daddy or a sugar mama to support us. Or just a spouse who took care of us. It was scary to think, but we all knew that in the long run, most of us would drop out of our profession, our passion, and the rest of us who stayed in would join the ranks of artists who died in poverty. My phone peeled in the art room, waking me from my daydreams of the past week. I tripped across the paint-stained floor to my desk and phone. On my way, the screen said. See you at the circle, I typed back. Ten minutes, he confirmed. I called down the basement steps to Ho. 
I'm leaving, but I'll be back this weekend. Okay, have fun. See you later, he called back. Like a teenager in love, I fled the studio, feeling a mixture of excitement and terror. What if Rod didn't like how I looked? What if he found flaws in my face or in my figure? I pulled the elastic from my ponytail and shook out my long hair, hoping to look sexier. I wondered if Rod was feeling the same apprehension about his looks. Fortunately, the weather was a distraction and a comfort. It was still beautiful out with late afternoon sun filtering through the trees that gave off a faint scent of autumn. Hi, Pia. A male voice startled me. It was Charles Hardy coming up the gravel path. He was a strikingly beautiful 11th grader of West Indies heritage. He was also an awesome artist, and I was thrilled to have him in my class. I knew he had a future, and I also knew that as soon as it felt right, I would ask about painting his portrait. I felt driven to capture his radiant male youth that would vanish just as suddenly as it had bloomed. Coming to paint? Yeah, are you leaving? Yes, but Ho is there. Uh, just, Just clean up. I have everything ready for Monday. Cool, I will. Have a nice weekend. You too, Charles. I headed on, heart fluttering again, thoughts focused on Rod. I definitely wanted love in my life, so I wouldn't have to be pining for it all the time. My last boyfriend had been in graduate school, Gil Merrill, a photographer and a cheater. I was 29 now, and although most of my friends were still single, I was feeling pressure to find a mate and get started on family life. I was longing to have kids. I was longing to hold a baby and care for its innocent needs. I wanted to raise a child and show him or her all the wonders of life, or my wonders. Maybe with all the horrors in the world, the ceaseless wars and violence, children were the only way to feel pure joy and laughter. But at 29, with enough experience, I knew that finding the right partner wasn't easy. All men and women had to do was look at each other, and they knew instantly whether or not that person was a potential lover. It was all about chemistry. And it definitely wasn't true that there were many fish in the sea. The pool was shockingly empty. Too many factors had to align just right for two people to even want to date, let alone make a life together. And don't even get me started on online dating. All week, I had been imagining having a family with Rod. And I had done the same with Gil when I first met him. Maybe it was natural that men and women imagined their family potential as soon as they felt attracted. Weren't we always dreaming about our futures anyway? And wasn't falling in love more about dreams than reality? Falling in love felt wonderful, because it wasn't reality. (laughs) People were funny. I heard the rumble and gear-changing noise of Rod's big machine, and it reminded me how obnoxious I had always found motorcycles. But now, the sounds had a sexual power and glamour. As his shiny black and chrome cycle came into view, he revved down and extended his rough boots on both sides to scrape the asphalt in a long, dusty stop. He was wearing a new, fashionable helmet, the half-size kind that showed more of his face, which looked adorable. Probably he had selected the headgear for exactly that reason, and to show off his new sexy Ray-Bans. He flashed me his cowboy smile, the one that creased his face like pictures of the old Marlboro Man. I couldn't help but laugh to myself, for it was obvious he planned it. Shopped for his look, which he checked every few seconds in the big round mirrors on his handlebars. Hey, sweet pea. He leaned out, his right arm inviting me in for a friendly hug. I readily stepped into that leathery embrace, but was unprepared for the strength that pulled me tight against him. Our heartbeats ticked together. My eyes closed to savor the pleasure. 
Then her lips touched for a light kiss, and oh, how those delicate sensors sizzled. <laughs> Sparks. I'll say. Then he looked me over appreciatively. I was wearing patterned pants from Nepal and a short black rain jacket to break the wind. Those are really nice pants, but they're too flappy. Here, I have something. He opened the compartment and handed me my helmet, then rummaged for Velcro straps for my ankles. I climbed on board and willingly slid my arms around his waist. Everything inside me was revolving in rapturous waves. His hand cuddled mine and then pressed it against his thigh. Mmm, he said, and I let my face rest in submission against his jacket. He spoke sideways. How tall are you, Pia? Five, nine and a half. I guess right. Perfect. For me, that is. We soared away with a lot of gunning and gear-shifting noise that I felt was a bit too conspicuous for Haskell's urbane self-image. And I didn't want Lori or Dale peering out their windows and frowning at the new art teacher's rough-riding style. But soon we were rounding the lane's corner and with a sensation of tantalizing freedom, I heard Bob Seger's song playing in my head. We just got on that bike and rolled clean out of sight. <laughs> I wondered if Rod was hearing the same song. Thank you for listening to episode three of Redline. Redline is written by G.D. Spillsbury and narrated by Anna Gravel, directed and produced by Fred Greenhalge, with assistant producer Grace Waldron. Redline is dedicated to Jim Cantor and Brooke Lambert. If you've enjoyed this Redline story, please tell your friends about us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews allows us to get more listeners, like yourself, so we can keep bringing you good stories. Learn more about Redline at redlinepodcast.com. That's redlinepodcast.com. Dot com.